Hello, welcome back to Ask Adelie and Anna. This is season three, and we're happy to be here, even though here means two different continents and many time zones apart. Um, so do you want to say where you are right now? I am in my studio apartment in Stavanger, West Coast, Norway, and it's 6.30 p.m. I'm in Portland, Oregon, in my sister's basement, um, and it is 10.30 a.m. So the reason why we're apart is probably pretty obvious uh, right now, as everyone is, um, as much as they can, staying at home across, basically across the world because of coronavirus. So it's really strange time. It's like one of these things where, you know, no matter what friend I talk to and what country, they're affected by this somehow, whether they're on like a government mandated lockdown or choosing to self, uh, what would you call it? Social distance. Um, everyone is, you know, their daily lives have been interrupted in some way. Does that feel like enough of an introduction? That's good. I think that's a good for the Corona part. Oh yeah, we probably have uh, quite a few new listeners um with this season because all of a sudden we have like additional promotional stuff because of mm-hmm. that fact that we've been commissioned by the Norwegian National Museum to do this season and the idea behind season three so for season one we just took random questions a lot of relationship and financial um advice and second season we were commissioned by Coast Contemporary and we took your questions to professionals in the art world, so curators, organizers, artists, and discussed um, the questions and then, you know, as, as a group would talk about different types of advice from our perspective. And then for this season, um, the premise is that the National Museum is asking us for advice because they're going to open a new building and have new programming and, um, you know, they need to think about certain kinds of uh, institutional questions and how they serve the public. So. They commissioned us to give advice. Uh, we will, of course, continue on answering or giving advice to questions from individuals, but also institutions. How do you go about that, like uh, giving advice to an institution? Um, so, from my perspective, I'm someone who's worked mostly at you know what would be considered like the low lower levels of the functioning of a museum. So, like visitor services, working at the front desk in membership, and. Before that, I had um, volunteered at a museum, so I worked in the gift shop. And even as a child, I I worked at the um, I volunteered at the International Museum of Cartoon Art. Wow! And, yeah, which used to exist in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. Um, so I've been someone who's who's seen, I guess, like the front of house of a museum and how people feel when they walk into it, and just being a museum patron myself. And over time, like. Um, getting more comfortable with going to museums, but I I can still remember what it felt like to walk into an intimidating space like that where you're not always sure how to behave, even just walking to the desk. And so I think that puts me in a pretty good position to give advice because there have been times when I've been asked at the museum for my advice on certain things, but it didn't really matter. And then you see how things play out. And, uh, you know, if people who work at the front desk, for example, were more respected and their opinions valued, there are certain kind of uh, obstacles and pitfalls that the, the institution could easily avoid. Hmm. I'm, I'm really curious about how our, who, who is going to listen to these, our advice now, but I do know that uh, several people that I have been in contact with when, when we've been collecting questions 
have been people that work in or around smaller institutions as well as the National Museum that have been asking us for advice. So yeah, I'm really excited. I've been working in some art institutions, also mainly uh, as a, like a gallery host. And when I've been learning or working with museums for exhibitions, and I've I've often been surprised, like uh, yeah, to see how things or how I perceive things to be running. So now with some of the questions, I was thinking like, how how do I think about them, and how how am I to answer some of the questions? And I guess because. We've often talked also about regulation questions. I've been thinking that I could, when I'm in trouble, I'm just like, okay, let me just like translate this question into the uh, thinking like the institution is a person or like, uh, or translate it in terms of relationships. And hopefully that would make it more accessible to talk about at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't become too abstract any at any point. Because, I mean, an institution is a collection of people who care and people <laughs> people who don't care. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, so there are people who are trying to change institutions from within, but struggle because, you know, not everyone is on the same page, or they say they are, but then their actions don't match. I've also been thinking of how, specifically now in this time, when we decided, okay, we're doing this, even though it's, uh, it's, um... Uh, yeah, it's a, such a weird time. <laughs> it was. It's weird because first I was thinking that oh no, asking all these uh, uh, institutional questions like is now the right time, and then I was like, well, <laughs> talking about these things is almost like a distraction in a really really weird way, but uh, also thinking of like what can come ahead or how do we work towards towards something or a future because now so much stuff is on hold. Yeah, and I think that a lot is going to change after this. I mean, I think the way we just think of the world, you know, like people are realizing that a lot of jobs, people actually can work from home or could probably work less hours or, you know, just real. I mean, this has really slowed me down in terms of travel, which I wanted to do anyway, but was like on a kind of a momentum that was just making me travel all the time. Um, So I think after this, people will be rethinking everything. Like I know, especially in the U.S., you know, people a few weeks ago who did who didn't believe in like uh you know the government stepping in and taking care of people now are like oh help us you know so there's a lot of uh a lot of things are changing a lot of things are gonna seem trivial or unnecessary or a lot of things are gonna seem extra important so Hmm. you know if if museums don't keep up with the changing feeling that everyone is gonna have uh they're gonna be left behind I think so yeah, we'll, uh... <laughs> that was like a weird transition, I was like trying to, <laughs> um, yeah. we have to talk about uh, guest advisor. Yes, I was actually really happy about having guest advisors last season, because all of the, um, oh, let's just wait, because my, oh, I can still talk about this, but my partner is just filling up the water kettle, and they come to take a little he's not allowed to boil the water, you can boil it in the bathroom. Wait, why in the bathroom? Because like, that's the only other room we have in the apartment, so you won't be able to hear the water. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's just like a little stage from this uh, at-home season. Um, <laughs> it's very authentic home. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, our guest advisors. Because in the second season, I just it was just really uh, interesting to hear these different perspectives. Because uh, sometimes... 
uh, we would have these ideas of like how the hierarchies or how things are. And then mm-hmm. we'd talk to people. And to me, it was really surprising, actually. It was. Yeah, but it also made me feel like no one thought they had any power when they, to me, do. Oh, yes. Like, I can't change anything. That's what it felt like a lot of the time. Yeah. I was like, but if you can't, and then who can, you know? Like someone who's like in a boardroom making decisions. I don't know. And I was also thinking that while we're doing it, then I'm like, oh, okay, we're actually like 30 plus. We're, mm-hmm. we're actually have created a platform for us, ourselves. We have a certain amount of power. I don't know, like in into which uh, <laughs> amount or, but there is still some sort of, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. We're, we're in it somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, so who are our guest advisors? So are we going to have some art students? And now we hear from art students. Yes, because initially we were going to record some of this in Stavanger, actually, um, together with some students from the art school here. Because of the virus, uh, we are not anymore, but uh, there were a few of the students that I met preparing for this that are still really excited to contribute. And then Anna uh, also has recruited some artist colleagues that we yes. have spoken to in Oslo. And now we hear from artist friends. So they are Oslo-based because <clears throat> we thought we would be in Oslo and record some of it. Um, but they are uh, from uh, our network and by having both students and people of our generation, it will be like a bit of different uh, uh, generations and also different, let's say, like different stages of a, an artist development that are going to give uh, advice with us. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to be talking to staff at the National Museum. And now we hear from staff at the National Museum. Um, we've asked them to ask for advice, you know, with, whether it relates to their role or a bigger, um, a bigger issue that they see at the museum. Um, and then they're also going to help us give advice for your personal questions. Because what would this podcast be without personal questions? Exactly. And it was actually like a little bit uh, sad in the previous season because there was so little sex to talk about. There won't be that much sex this season either, but uh, but there will really be some personal questions, yeah, uh, which I'm very pleased <laughs> about. So um, should we should we actually start with one of those questions, or should we sandwich it in, with the institutional questions? Oh, actually, oh yeah, let's sandwich it. But let's start. Okay. It's it's our first um, yeah. It's our first episode, so it's just Adelaide and I for the, for now. So you can get comfortable with us. Um, but yeah, we're we're having a few questions today. Okay. So the first question is, how do we break down the intimidation that many people feel coming into the museum? It's not an inviting space to all, and part of the problem is some of the regular members and regular visitors. So how do you get visitors to be inclusive to all? This is so exciting. We're going to have like a full season by giving advice on this, these mad questions. Um, okay, <laughs> how do we start breaking this down? So basically, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know just based on uh, some chatting who asked this question. And it's someone who was... Uh, um, a manager for visitor services 
at a museum um, in the U.S. And um, I think what she's trying to say here is that there are a lot of visitors who are snobby. And, for instance, there was a... Um, oh, snobby and racist. I mean, let's not forget racist. Mm. But there was an incident at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston where some students came um, and some of the patrons were saying racist things about the students. Um, or just like not, you know, saying, oh, I was going to go in that gallery, but I'm not because of those people are in there. So I think that's what she's referring to, these kinds of things that are, don't follow the, uh, you know, the mission of the museum. They don't have anything to do with the people that work at the museum, but more so with the people that come to the museum um, and their attitude mm. towards the space being inclusive for everyone. Mm most of all addressing like the other visitors that are coming to the museum mm-hmm. or the visitors it's still still like pointing at the visitors i'm just trying to understand this question because it's pointing at visitors and what the visitors are doing but somehow the visitors do feel welcome to behave in a certain way in the museum yeah and those visitors feel like it's their space that's being invaded by you know these school groups or whatever person they think doesn't belong there but I have seen this kind of ownership that some museum members have over the space, especially if they donate a lot of money. Mm. They kind of come in and flout the rules. This is my this is my space. Like uh, I own this place. Yeah. So, what do you think that museums can do to address this? <clears throat> well, I'm I'm just thinking like uh, um, certain types of behaviors shouldn't be allowed in a public space. Uh, um, but how to how to make frequent visitors or visitors uh, aware of those things you know like um, well it's obviously not the person in the front desk's job to to be like hey you (laughs) you you make sure this doesn't happen here it's like it's something that should happen on all levels Mm -hmm. I think for me personally if if I were in a museum and something like what happened to those kids happened to me where somebody was saying things you know kind of loud like oh it's too you know like for instance there's a um there's an installation my friend was saying there's an installation where there's music playing and so one of the students started to dance and which that's kind of awesome I think if you made a piece and you walked in and like there was a a kid dancing to your work oh yeah it's like a totally different unexpected type of uh reaction that most people don't feel free to have in a museum that children would but um somebody said oh like it's too bad she's not learning and rather is stripping (laughs) oh fuck yeah um so I think if I were a gallery attendant and I felt like the institution backed me you know if we it was like a clear response like if we have interactions like this you know between two guests you have the authority to tell that other guest you know this kind of behavior is not welcome you need to leave immediately yeah. And I think that kind of like really strict hard line um not putting up with any kind of, you know, intolerance like you're yeah, creating yeah. a space that's unwelcoming, you need to leave. You're welcome to come back, but you need to, you know, consider in the future how you behave around other people. Mm. Um Yeah, and also actually making that employee safe that like I'm not going to lose my job by yeah, by speaking up. Yeah. And now I'm just like thinking of like th- when you're at different venues and they're like, um, we're a gay, friendly, anti-racist, blah, blah, blah. Um, right, business. in the window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know what a sticker does, but somehow this st- sticker has to be. Uh, obviously, many people think it's like it's. Uh, it is obvious that these values are supposed to be maintained, but of course it's not. No. Um, maybe we should um, uh, ask the museum how they. Uh, because they will they will tell us all the answers to this, <laughs> like how you actually implement things like that on a in a bigger institution. Yeah, I don't know if I'm like playing dumb now, but that's at least like some of the strategy I want to ask the museum for advice. Mm-hmm. Or or just or just even find out what their policy is. Yeah, yeah. Do you have some examples or like any experience with like yeah how some institutions have worked well with this or addressed like problematic uh, visitors? I don't know. I mean, sometimes they're not even addressing problematic artists, so that they're showing. Um, I haven't seen that in action. I've, I've seen a, what I have seen is a lot of snobbery to be allowed, um, and I've seen a lot of people tiptoeing around like the big donors important members. I don't know. I mean, the thing I've noticed where I've seen this the most is actually restaurants. Where you go to a restaurant and in the window, it's like, you know, no person is illegal, um, yeah. love is love, black lives matter. Um, how do you feel when you see a sticker like that? It depends where it is. Like in Portland, I just, I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> how it is. Like, But, you know, that could mean a lot to someone somewhere else where... You're not sure how you're going to be welcome in a yeah. certain yeah. restaurant. I'm de- I can definitely be like, I'm not that exposed to s- stickers or gay flags to uh, a tiring extent at all. So if I see it, I'm really, it's like a like wave, hello, somehow like I see you or... Um, I also think of it as a way to hold people accountable because if you walk into a place and they said on the door, you know, Black Lives Matter, and then they want to call the police on someone who's just, like, waiting for a friend and hasn't bought anything yet, mm. like, that's that incident at the Starbucks, um, then you can call them out. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You say, this, these are your values right on the door. Hmm. I'm, um, from this, I'm actually noticing that we both get relatively sticker-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just don't know hmm. what that looks like at a museum. Isn't it something just, like, be very explicit somehow and, like, in sort of the um, official identity? We'll revisit this. Yeah. Um, with the museum and artists. Um, this is a personal question, though so not from an institution or... Could maybe be like meta from an institution because the question is as follows I keep wanting to be rude to other people. Is it okay or is it unacceptable behavior? <laughs> I think we all want to be rude to other people. I know, I know. <laughs> Sometimes. I somebody was was it you who was saying that a lot of people in these cases with like serial killers they die um because they were too polite, like not literally because they're too polite, but like they're too polite to say, uh, like not talk to someone or not be nice to someone. And then, you know, they get thrown in a van and put in a dungeon or something. I, I can't remember <laughs> saying exactly that. <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't remember who But I think I could possibly have said that like um, very many people just like uh, say yes, you're a greedy stuff because they don't want to like be... Um, 
Disagreeable. Uh, disagreeable, yeah. Yeah, there's different levels of rude, because there could be things that you're just being honest and they come across as rude. Like, for you said, for example, you said, you know, agreeing to something that you don't really, really want to do, because um, you could be seen as rude, but then there's, like, literally being rude and outright rude, and that's a little bit harder. Mm. I think we, uh, I think this person, I'm just like trying to like, how am I to advise this person? Well, uh, wanting to be rude, because it doesn't even, he or she, they doesn't uh, explain whether they're actually are being rude or if they only like fantasize about it and fantasize, I was like, go ahead, <laughs> fantasize <laughs> as much as you want uh, about being rude. Um, but to, yeah, it's about like what that, um, what that means, you know, like, um, in in my host ho- household, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. if we want to uh, be rude or say, I mean, we don't even have a culture of being very rude at home. Like my family, a little more so. But it's also like about a kind of a culture that you build up. But also, what kind of like what kind of culture is uh, you know like healthy and productive and makes you feel good. And and being rude, I mean, in general, it tends to push people away. So, are you okay with? pushing people away from you and out of your life. I don't know. Because if someone's consistently rude to me, I'm not going to want to hang around them. No, that's, like, really draining. Yeah. Um, I think it's, like, generally it's, it's more fun when people are silly than when they're rude. You know, like, yeah. silly can be a little bit rude as well, but, yeah. No, I I, I go for the it's unacceptable behavior. <laughs> unless it's, like, a... I don't know, like, within, like, a loving context. Well, I think there are situations where being rude is is perfect. Like, uh, you know, a month ago, someone, um, I was an artist residency, and there was a woman who lived across the street from it, and she was asking me a question. And in her question, she was saying, like, oh, the workers are running late, Uh, they must be Latino. And I was just like, what? And so normal me wouldn't walk away from an elderly woman who was talking to me. But in that moment, I was just like... Uh, I have nothing to say to her and I just walked away and so I think there's certain times where like when someone is being horrible you can be rude as a way to address their behavior like uh, I don't I don't accept what you're saying that is not really rude it's like you're being a decent but from her perspective it could be extremely rude you know I was just talking to you and you walked away like that's how she could see it she obviously didn't think there was anything wrong with what she was saying she felt perfectly fine talking yeah. to a brown person about other brown people and saying something derogatory. Yeah, and then you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna spend my energy addressing this, but I'm also not gonna approve. Right. And then when it comes to your safety, feel free to be rude, you know? Like, oh, if you totally. need to run away from someone or yell at them or things you wouldn't normally do. So then it's more about, like, do what is, uh, decent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In general, don't be rude, but yeah. Yeah. But why? Why can't we be rude? Yeah, well, now I was just more like rude. If someone is just like, like wanting to be rude, that sounds like someone is just out to, to like, fuck with people. Like, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm like visualizing this like, um, person who just wants to, uh, uh, create, uh, chaos. Mm -hmm. It was a Norwegian word. Uh, or stavang my dialect actually. I think I sense also some some sort of um, 
energy in the question though like i want to be rude i i want to uh i want to be bold almost mm-hmm. isn't it like i i want to do something inappropriate like maybe this is coming from someone who's really polite all the time and just wants yeah. to lash out <laughs> oh my god i'm like totally i'm i'm such a great advisor like it's totally un- unacceptable it's like oh you totally should be rude uh <laughs> I mean, I guess I get that feeling sometimes, too. I, I, My best friend always says, like, I'm really diplomatic. and But if people could know what I was thinking inside, like, oh, my goodness. Because there have been times where people have been extremely rude, you know, like, interrupting me while I'm talking. or, And I just kind of, I guess I maintain a calm demeanor, even though inside I just, like, okay, what should I do now? Because there's, like, always the choice of being calm and responding as if they weren't rude. Um, and then also just wanting to lash out. And sometimes I do lash out. Like I, you know, I worked at a cafe and I lashed out a customer who was really rude and my boss backed me and that was awesome. So there's these moments where you can like selectively choose to be rude that when it makes sense, but in general, just walking around being rude. I don't know about that. Yeah, no, you save it for the special moments. Yeah. <laughs> where you can feel victorious. Like, oh, um, <laughs> but I also have to give a little bit of a warning then because sometimes it can be so pleasurable to be rude that it's like easily mistaken for like I don't know as if it's a good thing by itself and that could be a little dangerous perhaps so yeah. about when rudeness is um performed but it's definitely such a fun question <laughs> like, yeah it's surprising to read okay we on to the <laughs> third question Okay, so this is another question about, um, you know, the welcoming environment of a museum. So gallery attendants are the front line for community engagement. How can they do better at promoting conscious change through a social justice lens, even while assisting the general public, not just catering to museum members and art world insiders? So first of all, what I would say as someone who was a gallery attendant is, wow, what that's a lot to put on a, a gallery attendant who's probably being paid low wages has, like for instance, all the people that are gallery attendants right now in the US, um, at least in the institutions I'm familiar with, I'm pretty sure they're out of a job. I'm pretty sure they haven't really been thought of and you know, to expect that they should be the ones to better promote conscious change through a social justice lens is a bit, it's a bit a lot to ask, I think. I mean, the museum can have its, uh, I mean, chip in anytime you want if, I, if you don't agree, but I think the museum yeah. can have its, its mission and its goals and that, that all staff, you know, follow that. I don't think all this should be laid on the gallery attendants. It's somehow, it is somehow related to our first question as well that we talked about, because it's, uh, it's somehow about like, who is, who is doing the heavy carrying or who has to carry like the the load at the museum who has to carry mm-hmm. like the the interactions the meetings all of the energy that comes into the institution from mm-hmm. from the visitors the gallery attendants their minimum wage they're there but they're the face like towards the outside but but they're um, yeah in which way are they valued like that right from a gallery attendance point of view, well, when I've been mm-hmm. working, yeah, I was working at Artipelag, a private Kunsthal outside Stockholm, or in Stockholm, and I was just really shocked by like the uh, kind of low level like information we would get about the about the exhibitions, and right. it was also 
quite like an upper class audience and I don't know, like a different class of people than what I'm what I'm used to. And I noticed like while I was if I would go there in order not to feel kind of grossed out by like serving <laughs> serving these people, I yeah. would like make my own script. So I would like throw in all this like feminist shit in my talks to sort of <laughs> justify mm-hmm. me making money there. So but that had nothing to do with like <laughs> social change like as the institution. It was just like a strategy for me to like justifying um educating these rich people about contemporary art. Mm-hmm. So it could also be like um this is definitely not for the museum. It's just like a strategy to make it more doable as a gallery attendant. Um, In terms of, say, a museum was asking this question, my advice would be um, you should know what the reality of a gallery attendant is. Um, You should know whether, like, speaking from an American perspective, you should know what their benefits are. Um, For instance, there was one institution I worked at, and um, I mentioned that the gallery attendants didn't even get, like, a membership card which would allow them to get into other institutions for free or just even an ID badge. Because a lot of times, if you have your work badge from your, the museum you work in, you can get in free into other ones. And they weren't even given an ID. When they come into work, they just put a name tag on. They have no proof outside of, of their work day that they work there. So they can't even get you know, free entry into exhibitions at another museum that's in, in the city. And so I pointed that out, but that was like not even a concern for the people who are in the upper office. And a lot of times there's actually this like physical divide of a downstairs and upstairs where the offices oh, are upstairs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like a Downton <laughs> Abbey type of thing. Um, oh, let's, well, I wonder what, let's figure out the the, <laughs> the National Museum's Downton Abbey's <laughs> Abbey setup. <laughs> I think as long as museums don't really respect people in those positions and, and what they deal with on a daily basis, because they deal with the security of the artwork, they deal with um, a lot of difficult people, who they, you know, you have to welcome everyone, but at the same time you have to decide when someone's a, like a threat to public safety or mm. to the safety of whatever. So there's a lot of decisions you have to do. Sometimes the job involves cleaning, like you see a dust bunny in the corner and no one's getting it, so you have to like keep the space nice. There's just so many things that, um, you know, they're the face of the museum and they're like the ones who are all the, always there on the floor and welcoming people. I mean, I, I made that my particular, like you said, there's certain things you did to be able to cope with the work that you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of, one of the things I, was my mission was to let people know, I worked at the front desk um, at an encyclopedic museum that's free, and to let people know that it was free, because a lot of times people would walk in, the space is very grand, like super high ceiling and beautiful architecture, and they get intimidated, and there's this desk that they have to pass in order to get in, and so they would like walk halfway to the desk and then turn around and I I'll like you know, assume make, that it's expensive it's not for them yeah yeah or they or they would see the price for the special exhibition and not realize that the rest of the museum was free so you know I'd, I'd make it my point like sometimes I would run out from behind the desk and be like actually you can you know it's free you can all come in yeah, yeah. welcome do you need a stroller do you need you know just make sure they have everything they need and that was part of the training was like you know be welcoming to people but like for me, it was taking it beyond, not just when people came to the desk, but actually watching their body language as they approached or where they, where else they were and whether or not they were trying to leave before they'd yeah. even spoken to us. That's, it's kind of interesting, though, that the, both of us, um, when we had these jobs, we would do certain things um, that somehow could would benefit the general public. At the same time, 
uh, we were like, no, this is not our jobs. We're just doing this to make it like a little bit more uh, meaningful, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, uh, I, the front line for community engagements, I think that's a completely wrong starting point. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess in here, maybe community engagement means on the basic level of just you're the person interacting with the community that comes into the museum. But um, I think it's a lot to, you know, when the, when the, in my experience, the people in the upstairs, their values aren't, they, they say, there's a lot of talk, but when it comes yeah, to yeah. action, now, now is the gallery attendant expected to be the, the vehicle for this, you know, mission? Yeah. Like, how does the rest of the museum do that? How do you do that with the architecture? How do you do that with, um, the, you know, the way that people feel they can move through the space or how they can yeah. move through the space? Or even, or like, leave? in which channels they communicate outside the institution? Yeah. Like, who are on people's mailing list or in which papers are there ads or... Yeah. And and what kind of artwork are you showing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So if your artwork isn't promoting conscious change through social justice lens, then how do you expect gallery attendance to be? Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Are we too mean? Well, we still have, uh, I don't know, uh, lots of episodes left. Lots Mm -hmm. of guests who can, yeah, I mean... If this is too hard sh- first episode, well, then you can listen and see if we get any better or worse. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see.